<laughs> okay, so hello everybody. Welcome to this third TGSS of this little um, miss or the autumn term. And today we are very happy and very uh, glad to have Cameron Bailey, Dr. Cameron Bailey here to present his work um, on Vajrabhairava and uh, Mahakala. So uh, Cameron Bailey has a master's degree in religious studies from Florida State University and a DPhil in Tibetan studies from the University of Oxford. He was an assistant professor in the Department of Indian Philosophy at Donguk University, Seoul. His research interests include the life and works of Leilung Shepard Dorje, mythological narratives in Nyingma Mahayoga Tantras, and the history and development of protected deity cults, demonology, astrology, and magical ritual in Indian Indo-Tibetan Tantric Buddhism. So, Cameron, uh, please uh, take it away. Okay. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, so uh, today I'm going to be talking about um, the Rudra subjugation myth, but specifically two, um, actually more than two, but um, for the sake of simplicity, we'll just say two, um, two variants of the of this myth that um, haven't have received received a little bit of attention, but um, from scholarship, but not a whole lot. And I think they're particularly interesting to um, put in conversation with each other because um, they have some of the uh, some of the myth themes in them are uh, structurally identical, but the overall theology that the two versions present are very different. So they contrast with each other um, in very interesting ways. Um, so as we'll see. Um, so for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, too familiar with the Rudra subjugation myth, the first thing I'm going to do is just sort of talk about it generally, um, kind of give you a crash course in what this Rudra okay. subjugation myth is. So yeah, the, as I was saying, the Rudra subjugation myth has been called this, the charter myth of Vajrayana or Tantric Buddhism. Um, and by that, it, we, what we mean basically is that this myth in narrative form justifies the specifically the violent and sexual practices and iconography of Tantric Buddhism. Um, and this myth is particularly prevalent in uh, Nyingma scripture and somewhat less prevalent uh, and emphasized in, um, uh, in Sarma uh, tantric scriptures. Um, it's basically, um, you know, as, as we'll talk about more later, in uh, the Sarma versions of the myth tend to be much simpler um, and probably based on the Nyingma, on the Nyingma versions for the most part. Um, although the example, the Sarma example I'm going to show today um, is kind of possibly complicates that uh, conclusion. Um, also, the Rudra subjugation myth basically acts as a template for a whole host of other stories, mainly Nyingma stories, that discuss the subjugation and conversion of um, various demonic beings into Buddhist Dharma protectors. Um, you can kind of think of Rudra as being the um, uh, sort of the, the original or um, 
the template for all other uh, Buddhist protector deities. Now, to talk about who Rudra is briefly, um, Rudra, of course, is the kind of the earliest name for the Hindu god Shiva. It's the what he's called basically in the Vedas. Um, the name literally means howler, and he appears in the Vedas as basically a malevolent deity who needs to be propitiated with offerings in order basically in order for him to leave you leave the community alone um later of course rudra shiva becomes a uh you know a cultically popular uh, part of of you know um hinduism and one of the most popular gods in hinduism um and is uh, in buddhist myth specifically rudra is the the name and the deity rudra is basically a demonized form of shiva who is presented as being this basically the the main enemy of buddhism um from a theological perspective his his role is somewhat similar to uh satan in in the in a, a christian context um and he basically replaces mara as the kind of the primary um, deified enemy of Buddhism um, in the tantric context. Um, so yeah, the, the sort of the tantric Mara is is Shiva or Rudra or as he's usually called in the the Sarma context, the new tantric context, uh, Maheshvara. Um, also, sometimes in in the Sarma context, he's called Bhairava or is various names that's used. Rudra is usually the, the Nyingma name um, or the Nyingma form that's referred to. Okay, so um, the kind of the, I would say some of the more well-known versions of the Rudra subjugation myth in terms of well-known to a Western audience or a, a um, to Western scholarship. Um, is um, the versions that appear in the uh, the so-called Gathering of Intentions Sutra, which is a, um, a a very important Nyingma scripture. It's sort of the main Ati Yoga scripture um, that um, we, we're not exactly sure on the dating of it. Um, but um, the Gathering of Attention Sutra actually contains the longest extant version of the Rudra subjugation myth. Uh, another pretty popular, well-known version of the Rudra subjugation myth is found in the in the Padma Katang, the Chronicle of Padma. It's a 14th century uh, Terma biography of of Padma Sambhava, and there's like I think three chapters in that that uh, talk about um, Hayagriva's subjugation of Rudra. Um, now, the Gathering of Intention Sutra version is, is particularly interesting because it's, uh, it's basically a very long, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how many chapters in the, in the text it covers, but it's quite a few. And it's basically a long biography uh, of Rudra. Um, um, and what's particularly interesting about it is that it, the structure of the story essentially inverts the Buddha's biography, the Buddha's life story. So, you know, there's sort of point by point, 
um, each, um, um, you know, significant event in the Buddha's life story is retold in Rudra's story, but in a, in kind of an a inverted way, so that Rudra is sort of presented as a anti-Buddha. Um, like, for example, there's this, uh, there's the famous scene in the Buddha's life story where he's um, born with his, when his mother is standing up clutching a tree, um, and he's born sort of purely from his mother's side. Um, in the Rudra version of the story, he's basically buried alive still in the womb of his dead mother and then he's he eats her corpse in order to survive and then crawls out of the grave underneath this dead tree um so sort of the the same motifs appear but they're rather than emphasizing the sort of the the the, the spiritual purity of the subject as in the buddha's case the emphasis is on the spiritual impurity of rudra Okay, so, okay, so, and to kind of give a general outline of the Rudra subjugation myth, um, and I'm mainly basing this on the, uh, the, the Gathering of Intentions Sutra version of the myth, but this sort of applies to a whole bunch of different uh, versions of the myth that recur in various, uh, usually Nyingma, uh, scriptures. So, um, The story will usually start with some kind of, and this is particularly the case in um, the Gathering of Attentions version, um, where um, it starts with Rudra basically committing um, some kind of uh, sin in a past life. Um, in the Gathering of Attentions um, version, he basically uh, sort of turns against and banishes his guru. Um, and then starts committing all kinds of violent and, and sexual acts, um, which cause him to uh, be reborn in, in hell and uh, numerous times once he dies, and also reborn in, you know, like terrible states of, um, you know, as a hungry ghost for like 500 lives and things like that. Um, then after he sort of is goes through all these lives in hell and in the hungry ghost realm, he's reborn on earth as a sort of a horrific demon. Um, and it's in some versions of the myth, it's said that his mother, um, you know, basically mates with uh, several different types of demons. So he's like a combination demon that includes the aspects of different types of, of demonic beings. Um, and he's born and he's, he's basically, um, he's born an extremely powerful demon. Um, and it's understood he's particularly powerful because in his past life, he was actually, he was actually a practicing Buddhist who, um, you know, had some level of spiritual attainment and then, um, you know, basically uh, fell away from the, 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 the pure Buddhist teachings um, and then, of course, committed all these horrible crimes. Um, so he's a demon, but he's a pow very powerful demon because he has some level of spiritual attain true spiritual attainment. Um, and because he's so powerful, he overthrows the devas, uh, the gods, and basically plunges the world into 
you know, spiritual and sometimes literal darkness, um, bringing, you know, spreading diseases among sentient beings, devouring sentient beings, causing all kinds of problems on earth. Um, and the, the Buddha's actually attempt to subdue Rudra through uh, peaceful means um, by sending, in, in the Gathering of Intentions Sutra version, they actually send Shakyamuni Buddha to try to uh, convert him to Buddhism basically by giving a Dharma talk, essentially. Um, and Rudra basically laughs in the face of Shakyamuni. And, um, you know, it's the, the peaceful means for pacifying him are completely ineffective. Um, so instead, the Buddhas take a different tact by taking mimetic wrathful forms, that is, forms that deliberately imitate um, Rudra's fearsome appearance. Um, and with these wrathful forms, they uh, basically brutally kill him and his retinue. Uh, in some versions, of, they eat him. Um, and then this basically is a way to bullying him into becoming, into basically converting to Buddhism and becoming a Dharma protector. Um, now, the exact Buddhist deity who actually does the subjugation of Rudra changes depending on the context. Um, in the Gathering of Intentions Sutra version, there's actually a whole line of, of different deities that, you know, sort of take turns beating up on him. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and in, like I mentioned in the um, the, the Padmakatang version of the myth, uh, it's specifically Hayagriva who, who subjugates him. Okay, so that's basically a quick overview of the Rudra subjugation myth. Um, that's basically how the story goes in um, most of its versions. Um, Okay, now I'm going to talk about more specific uh, variants of this uh, of this myth, um, specifically Mahakala myths that focus on on Mahakala and Vajrabhairava. Um, and Mahakala here is um, specifically a particular Tibetan form, Tibetan Nyingma form of Mahakala called uh, Gonpo Maning, or um, usually translated as eunuch. Mahakala. So the reason why I kind of put these two um, variants in conversation is, first of all, Mahakala and Vajrabhairava are kind of um, sort of explicit Buddhist versions or Buddhist forms of Shiva. Uh, Mahakala and is actually named after a form of Shiva and, um, or, well, sometimes Mahakala depending on the Hindu myth you look at, Mahakala is sometimes a, a disciple of Shiva, but it's also a name, one of the names of Shiva. Um, and also Vajrabhairava, the name Bhairava is, of course, um, the main wrathful tantric form of Shiva. Uh, so Vajra, Vajrabhairava just is sort of a kind of a, a Buddhist adaptation of Bhairava uh, in some respects. Um, so, you know, that's the first reason why I sort of looked at these two myths in parallel. The second reason is that they actually, um, have, they use some of exactly the same mythene, 
hymns that are drawn from um, uh, Hindu Puranic myth, uh, Shaivite myth. Um, and we'll see what those are um, in a minute. Um, but also, even though they use some of the same story beats, um, kind of the same plot elements, you could say, um, they actually kind of come to different conclusions, you could say, or they, they use the myths in completely different ways, um, in kind of the opposite way. Uh, so for that reason, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of contrast the two structurally. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, first off, the Mahakala myths. Um, so this uh, is the form of Mahakala. I mentioned eunuch Mahakala. Basically, manning just means anybody who doesn't, uh, a person who doesn't um, follow normative standards of maleness, um, exactly. Um, so uh, it's usually translated as eunuch, but it's, that's translation is a little bit problematic. But anyway, um, the this is a, like I said, a Tibetan form of Mahakala, which you can kind of see here in his iconography. He's, as far as I know, there's no attestations to this particular form of Mahakala in Indian sources. This is all out of Tibetan sources, basically. Um, and you can kind of see his, his Tibetan aspect here in his iconography because he's wearing a Tibetan cloak. Uh, he's got boots on, which usually indicates it's a Tibetan deity uh, and you know, things like that. Um, so the form or the uh, the myth of Mahakala, of this form of Mahakala that I want to talk about, comes out of a, um, a tantra uh, found in the Nyingma Gyubum um, that in a, its sort of brief title is The Activities of Ganpo Maning, The Emanation of Chimchak Haruka. Um, and you actually, in this painting here, you see Chimchak Haruka, uh, one of the eight Kage, Nyingma Kage deities, um, up here in the sky above Makala, and, and, and this myth sort of depicts Makala as being sort of the primary emanation of Chimchakaruka. Um, now, Leilong Shepik Dorje, in his 18th century um, uh, collection of protector deity mythology, um, called the, the Ocean of Oathbound Protectors, um, he notes that this myth also appears in a more elaborated version in a treasure text uh, attributed to Guru Chowang, um, who lived in the 13th century. Um, so if, he, if that attribution is correct, and I haven't been able to find, actually find the, the Guru Chowang text, but if Leilong's attribution is correct, this story will date around the 13th century possibly predates it because the Ning, I, there's a good chance the Ningma Gyubum form is or a version of the story predates that but it's hard to tell um this version of the story i'm going to be referring to from now on as basically m1 um just as a, a shorthand i'll also be talking about another mahakala myth um that is has some of the same, you know, um, similar plot um, details. 
that I'm going to be calling M2. Um, this M2 is actually from a later termotext from the um, uh, from the 17th century called the Tantra of the Glorious Black Maning. So it's the same form of Mahakala. The plot is similar in some ways, but there's actually quite a bit of difference between the two stories, which we'll see in a minute. Mm. Okay, so now talking about M1, um, the one from the, the, the 13th century treasure or from the the uh, Nyingma Gyubum Tantra. Um, this story is actually basically told over two, over two chapters. In the first chapter, it's, uh, the first chapter actually deals with the actual subjugation of Rudra himself. Um, and, and it's actually not Rudra as a singular deity. It's actually a sort of an, a whole army of Rudras that are led by three um three three leaders of the rudras that are that all have different names basically um and it starts with a pseudo creation story where the buddha samatabhadra kind of is presented as a sort of like a demiurge he doesn't exactly create the universe but he um you know he, he kind of recreates it out of the chaos that is caused by um uh, by the rudras essentially so there's all these rudras that are running havoc in the in the universe and in order to um you know save sentient beings the samantabhadra emanates his primary wrathful form chimchakaruka as well as five forms of mahakala to basically destroy these rudras um, and um, basically carve their bodies into a enlightened mandala, into they turn uh, turn their corpses into a palace um, that is then uh, sort of inhabited by uh, Chimchakaruka. The second chapter of the tantra, which is more interesting to me, and in what will be more what we'll be focusing on here is basically focused in, uh, on Mahakala. Um, Mahakala is emanated by Chimchakaruka basically as a way of replacing Rudra. Uh, Mahakala becomes the kind of the overlord of all the worldly demons after they're tamed. Um, and there's a lot of the chapter two has a lot of a very elaborate descriptions of the kind of the ghastly um retinue of mahakala um that are you know portrayed as being you know extremely fierce and dangerous but as long as mahakala is there they're kind of like under control to a certain extent <clears throat> what's particularly interesting about the second chapter <clears throat> excuse me about the second chapter is that the um, it's basically a Buddhist retelling of uh, Hindu Puranic myth. And the emphasis is not on subjugating Rudra, because that's already been done in the first chapter, but on the, um, basically the, this Buddhist deity, Mahakala, um, coming to the aid of the, the devas in their war against the asuras. 
Um, so, and it's, it's essentially just a, a straight retelling of um, the Shaivite myth of um, Indra basically um, contriving to get Shiva to help them fight off the Asuras. Uh, it's just Mahakala here, the Buddhist Mahakala is recast in the role of Shiva. Um, so like in the Hindu versions of the myth, uh, Umadevi is sent to Mahakala to basically induce him to, uh, to, to help the devas. Um, the devas make all these ritual offerings and empower Mahakala to um, take command of their armies. And then the uh, Makala basically uh, emanates a huge uh, retinue, and the and the text goes into great detail listing the emanated deities. He emanates the this massive retinue um, uh, of worldly deities, um, including Brahma and Yama, to subjugate and 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 um, conquer the Asuras. The only real difference between the kind of the standard Shaivite myth here um, and the and and this telling of it is that um, Makala actually um, first uh, provokes Indra to come ask him to to lead the Deva's armies. Like it, Indra doesn't have to you know um, go through a whole lot of effort to 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 rouse. Uh, Mahakala from his, his meditation, like in the Shaivite version of the story, it's Mahakala is is kind of ready to go here. He and he and he try to he kind of lets Indra know that he's available <laughs> to to come conquer the Asuras. Um, so he, he kind of sends out these light rays, which strikes Indra, and Indra know now knows that he you know he should ask Mahakala to to take command of the Deva's armies. Okay, so Mahakala does that, emanates this huge retinue of worldly deities, and conquers the Asuras. Okay, now to M2, uh, the sort of the kind of the, the later Terma uh, version of the story, which is actually quite different um, and has a lot of different details. Um, but the kind of the, the core myth theme about inviting Mahakala to take command of the deva armies that's the same but a lot of the other details are very different so um, this story actually be uh, begins with a past life story uh, kind of a jataka you could say um, that uh, is not at all in the uh, in the m1 version um, so this this previous life story uh, and this is actually um, just as an aside here this is actually uh, fairly common in protector deity stories or protector deity myths that I've noticed. Um, in the kind of the earlier uh, Nyingma Gyubum versions of the myth, um, you don't really see these past life stories much, um, at least as far as I've seen. But in the later kind of um, Terma versions which of, this, of the myth, which you know, are usually date from 16th, 17th century, um, or maybe a little bit earlier, you get uh, the inclusion of these past life stories where it explains basically who the protectors were in their past life and what they did to be reborn as this kind of fearsome, um, monstrous being. Um, 
So the past life story in, in M2 here starts with this tale about an evil king who is persecuting the Buddhist Sangha, essentially. He kind of rounds up a bunch of monks and nuns and, and, and tries to execute them. Uh, they get away, but he attempts to execute them. Um, and then he also prays to them to, or not to them, excuse me, he prays to Kama, um, who is basically Kama Mara here, um, to destroy the Buddhist teachings. Um, and the, the Buddhist monks and nuns, for their part, once they escape him, they pray to Yama to be reborn as protector deities after they die. Um, and that's what happens. Um, after their deaths, they are reborn as the children of Maheshra and Uma Devi, that is Shiva and Uma, um, and become the eight great gods. Then Haruka, who's the wrathful form of the Buddha here, um, couples with Uma Devi to produce Vajra Raksha, who is um, basically another name for Mahakala in this context. Um, seeing the birth of Vajrayaksha, or excuse me, Vajraraksha, um, Mara assembles his army, who in this text is an army of Asuras. So again, we have the um, sort of the um, combination of um, the, the Mara, the enemies of Buddhism, um, the, um, the association of them with the Asuras, the kind of the classic enemies of the gods in um, Hindu myth. Um, so, and then from here, it, the myth sort of proceeds exactly the same way that M1 does. Um, Indra invites Mahakala um, with a, sort of a gifts of various goddesses to take command of the Deva army. Um, Mahakala emanates this vast retinue of worldly deities who then destroy the Asuras. Um, and interestingly, Maheshra here is depicted uh, as, that is to say Shiva, is depicted here as fighting on the Buddhist side. Um, he's one of the um, gods who's kind of allied with Mahakala in this in this particular text. Okay, so just to kind of the kind um, to kind of sum up uh, these two myths, um, the these myths are essentially a Buddhist retelling of Shaivite stories. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Mahakala is basically just taking the role of Shiva here. Um, the, the Hindu myth theme of Indra using um, a, a goddess, uh, some specifically Maha, uh, um, excuse me, specifically Uma Devi in M1 uh, as a way of kind of uh, rousing Mahakala or Shiva's sexual desire in order for him to come defeat the, uh, the Asuras. That's, you know, taken directly out of the Puranic myth and just retold in a Buddhist context in um, these two termas. Um, the Buddhist deities take the side of the Devas in their war with the Asuras. That's an important point. 
Um, and Mara particularly is associated with Kama, who's the, of course, the kind of the arch enemy of Shiva in Puranic Shaivite myth. Um, and uh, he's associated with the Asuras specifically, the enemies of the gods in Hindu myth. So this, these Mahakala myths appear to be deliberately and kind of um, diplomatically syncretic with Hindu theology and cosmology, right? Um, they're basically saying that the Hindu myths are correct. It's just that what you call, the deity you call Shiva um, or Maheshvara is in fact the Buddhist deity Mahakala. Um, there's also a very strong emphasis on uh, worldly deities as the emanations of the Buddha um, in this, in these myths. Um, and so it's, uh, I kind of interpret it as being a kind of a world affirming theology, right? Um, the kind of the classical cosmic order um, that's presented in Hindu myth is affirmed in this uh, Buddhist retelling. This is completely different from the Vajrabhairava version of the myth. Um, the, so now to turn to the Vajrabhairava version. <clears throat> this story also appears in, in you know, kind of different versions, slightly different um, retellings in several different sources. Um, it's usually attributed to um, Ralotsawa himself. It's said to be kind of an oral tradition uh, related to Ralotsawa, and it appears in a kind of recently re rediscovered uh, collection of um, texts by Ralotsawa um, uh, called the Rapa um, that um, is kind of retold in later uh, histories of the Vajrabhairava Tantra. Um, it appears in, in, in kind of three sources that I'm aware of, um, all basically histories of the Vajrabhairava Tantra, um, one by Peljor Lundrup, uh, one by Taranata, and one by uh, Amesha, um, who are all basically 16th, 17th century figures. Um, according to Taranata, who is citing Bari Lotsawa here, um, who's a 11th century, 12th century figure. Um, this um, Vajrabhairava version of the myth of the Rudra subjugation myth is actually kind of a later invention that is done in imitation of the, uh, the Nyingma myth. Um, basically the idea is the, the um, followers of the of Vajrabhairava, of the Vajrabhairava teachings just sort of took the Rudra, the Nyingma Rudra subjugation myth and adapted it um, uh, to make Vajrabhairava the, the hero of the story, basically. Um, I don't really actually agree with that um, uh, assessment. Uh, I don't agree with Taranada's assessment, really, um, because the story itself is more than a mere imitation of the, of the Nyingma version of the Rudra subjugation myth. In fact, it's a complete reversal 
of the Nyingma version of the myth, which um, we'll see here. Okay, so I'm not, I, I thought about talking about the, the various differences between the various retellings of the Vajrabhairava myth, but um, the, the, um, the, they're just really minor details that it would, be, it would get tedious to go through all the, all the minor changes. Basically, they tell the, the same story. They all have essentially the same plot, just with slightly minor, um, minor changes in the details. Uh, like, for example, Taranata, interestingly, doesn't use the name Rudra in his telling of it. Um, the, the figure that is called Rudra in the other versions um, is um, actually called, uh, in Taranata's version, is called Matanga. Um, but in any case, uh, for the most part, they tell the same story. So I'm just going to sort of give an overview, a kind of a diplomatic version um, of these different retellings. Okay, so the story starts out, the Devas have been defeated by the Asuras. You know, it's a kind of a classic, um, you know, start of a lot of Puranic myths. Um, and the king of the Asuras here is identified as uh, Rudra, a figure named Rudra, which notably is not the case in the uh, the Mahakala myths that I just went over, and as far as I'm aware, um, is not the case in in any Nyingma version of the Rudra subjugation myth. Although you know I haven't you know studied in detail all the different version Nyingma versions of the story, so I could be wrong about that. But it's interesting here that Rudra is identified specifically as the king of the Asuras except in Taranata's version where he has a different name. But anyway, um, so again, the Devas are being uh, defeated by the Asuras. They need help. So the Indra and Brahma, like in similar to the Mahakala stories I just went over, um, basically contrive to get Maheshra and Uma to produce a child um, Kartikeya or, uh, or Kartikeya or Skanda, also known as Skanda, who's kind of usually identified as the main son of Shiva. Um, they basically, they're trying to get uh, them to produce uh, this child so that he will conquer the Asuras, um, which is what happens in the Hindu version of the story, right? Kartikeya is born um, and he goes on to defeat the Asuras. Um, that's not what happens in this version of the story, incidentally. Um, but the this Vajrabharva myth does start out basically retelling, um, you know, beat by beat, the Kartikeya's uh, Puranic uh, origin story, you know, where um, uh, some some semen comes out of, uh, of uh, Uma's womb, it goes into Agni's mouth, um, and, and he, you know, he, he this then eventually cools in, in a river, is taken out, and he's raised by, um, you know, Kartikeya is basically re reborn from the river, or born from the river, and he's raised by seven uh, mothers, these seven women who happen to be at the river at the time. That, that's a sort of, you know, Kartikeya's, um, you know, main story in Puranic myth, and it's, 
retold exactly in this Vajrabhairava story. Um, but then Kartikeya, he grows up and goes on to fight the Asuras, but he does not defeat the Asuras, as in the Hindu version of the story. He is, in fact, defeated by Rudra. Um, and um, the, uh, this kind of pisses off Maheshra, who comes to avenge his son by fighting Rudra uh, directly. Um, Rudra sees that he's going to be probably defeated by Maheshra, so he um, prays to, interestingly, Manjushri uh, and takes refuge in, in, in the Buddha. And Manjushri emanates Vajrabhairava, who then goes on to defeat Maheshra. So this is exact, an exact opposite and a complete inversion of the Mahakala version of the story that I just went over, right? Um, um, the, um, the Buddha is, in fact, in this, in the Vajrabhairava myth, is on the side of the Asuras, not on the side of the Devas. Um, and the cosmic order is not sort of affirmed, um, is not given a kind of a Buddhist stamp of approval, but rather it's completely destroyed and overthrown. The gods are completely, basically wiped out um, in the Vajrabhairava um, version of the of the myth. Um, so, yeah, so this is, it's, it's a very hostile, um, uh, um, what would you say, um, conversation with Hindu myth. It's not an integration of Hindu myth, it's a kind of a rejection of it. It's, it's a, um, you know, the, the, saying that the, basically it's just meant to display uh, in very violent, hostile terms, the uh, supremacy of the Buddhist deity over the Hindu deities, which is not, does not really seem to be exactly what the, um, the Nyingma versions of the story are doing, at least not the Mahakala ones that I, I examined. Um, so the question arises, is the Vajrabhairava version of the myth a and actually a response to the Nyingma, the, the Nyingma versions, where um, rather than, you know, being friendly with the, the Hindu gods uh, and, and integrating the Hindu myths into Buddhist myth, there's a kind of a complete rejection of them. Um, I don't know, it's, it's interesting possibility that either the Mahakala myth or the Vajrabhairava myth might be a response to the other, depending on which is later, which is kind of difficult, if not impossible to, de to determine, but. Okay, so the, I think I'm running out of time here. Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so the, um, the kind of the point I wanted to make by putting these two versions of the, the Rudra subjugation myth uh, or Maheshwara subjugation myth in conversation is that the variants of the Rudra subjugation myth are not, uh, are not at all the same. They are, can be sometimes radically different from each other, despite the fact that they have, you know, uh, superficially the same plot in that the 
wrathful Buddhist deity subjugates the uh, the Hindu deity. Um, the different retellings can often, or so, at least sometimes, present completely different theologies. Like in the Mahakala, the Nyingma Mahakala version of the myth, where the Hindu deities are are integrated in kind of a very diplomatic way into the Buddhist pantheon, essentially. Um, whereas in the Sarma Vajrabhairava version of the myth, the uh, Hindu deities and Hindu cosmology seem to be completely rejected uh, to the point that it becomes sort of radically anti-cosmic in orientation, um, I would say, with Vajrabhairava basically just um, destroying the entire cosmos. Um, now, Ronald Davidson in his... Uh, in his article on the Maheshvara subjugation myth, uh, you know, talks about the kind of the differences, the big differences between the Nyingma versions of the Rudra subjugation myth and the Sarma versions of the Maheshvara uh, subjugation myth. And he kind of comes to the conclusion that the Nyingma versions uh, show a lot of um, influence of uh, oral literature. Um, which are probably primarily geared towards a, a village lay audience. Um, there's a lot of emphasis in the Nyingma stories on, um, you know, the, you know, the, they're more elaborate. They, ha uh, there's, they have more episodes to them. They have, uh, detailed scenes where characters exchange dialogue. There's a lot of drama. Uh, in the Nyingma versions of the myth. In the, in the uh, Sarma versions of the myth, in um, Davidson's argument here, that's not really the case. The, um, there's not really a lot of scenes, excuse me, with exchange of dialogue um, in the Sarma uh, Maheshvara subjugation myth. Um, they're more like sort of extensions of sadhana visualization practice they're very technical they uh they're basically just descriptions of in this case chakrasambara um uh, you know standing on top of uh the the mandala of maheshvara that kind of thing there's not a lot of 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 dramatic scenes that are described um but in 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 davidson's estimation the 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 sort of the sarma versions of the story are geared more towards a scholastic uh, monastic audience um, whereas the nyingma versions of the story are more geared towards a lay um uh, you know a lay audience essentially um that that were produced probably um by oral tellings um the uh that doesn't really hold up i don't think in the case of this vajrabhairava myth because you have um you know specific scenes with exchanges of dialogue there's a there's a series of dramatic episodes it's not just a sort of a technical description uh, or kind of a technical sadhana description of uh vajrabhairava's mandala it's 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 a you know it's a definitely a retelling of Puranic myth, um, just with a kind of a twist at the end that um, 
that kind of reverses the conclusions of the Puranic myth, right? Where Vajrabhairava kills everybody, <laughs> essentially. Um, so I think we uh, need to maybe kind of um, rethink um, this uh, simple conclusion that, um, uh, that, you know, the Nyingma versions of the story are dramatic retelling or, you know, dramatic um, um, or dramas, basically. And the, um, uh, the Sarma versions of the myth are just sort of, um, sort of technical scholastic um, sadhana descriptions. I don't think that holds up in the case of the Vajrabhairava myth, but um, okay. So that's basically, um what i wanted all i have um are there any questions or comments